reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone. Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by John Boy Media. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Panic. On today's show, we got a good amount of stuff to get to. We got to get to uh, breakdowns of the sixth and seventh round picks which includes five players for two rounds, so that's pretty cool. Ingram and Pepper's options were picked up. I have a Nate Solder ranch doing. How are you doing, though, Justin? Bobby Skinner, hello. Today was my final day of college classes. I still need to be like a college student for another week just to get some other things done. But I've been sitting in the same chair that I'm sitting in right now from like 9 a.m., and now it's basically 10 p.m., and I've been sitting in the same chair, so I'm a little tired. I'm a little loopy, but glad we're here. A lot of things are happening in Giants land. A lot of things are happening in our lives, and uh, I'm happy to be talking with you. This is probably the, the the best part of my long day that I've had today. It's always great talking to you. I, I'm, I'm so glad you're done with school because it's such a huge waste of time. I'm glad I'm done with school, too, because I, I really like it's such a huge waste of time. Not to continue this huge, like, talking Giants is the best thing, but okay. I'm really, really excited to, huh, number one, have an excuse to not have a job for a little while. Thanks, quarantine. And number two, this will be, like, a, a full-time thing for a little bit before I get a job, and I'm excited to absolutely just Get a job, kill it. little doggy. I'm going to get, get like, a, a little bit of side job, maybe, like, maybe like a get landscaping a- job. I had a detailing business. Every day you don't get a job, I'm going to do the Dave Gettling good morning tweet and say, good morning, uh, Justin Pennant, get a job. No, I'm I'm done with that clip. I'm done. I, but I'm, I'm retiring it on Friday. Uh, all right, I'm well, I'll just, I'll mute the words, good morning. Well, I'll just make sure that you get it, get the job. Justin, Jabril Peppers and Evan Ingram's fifth-year options were picked up. They're obviously both from the same draft class, which is why they're coming up at the same time. Jabril was obviously a no-brainer. He was a good player for us. We just traded for him. Why not pick up his option? Evan Ingram, there was more of a conversation around, although I didn't think it was really an option. But the reason why you'd pick up Evan Ingram's option for me, Justin, is because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. We know that. But if he stays healthy this year, in the fourth year, well, guess what? We get another cheap year after that to see if he can do it two years in a row. Where if he, like, where... Say next year he's it's a fluke and he plays 16 straight games and then then 2021 he plays four or five games and injuries again. It's like okay, that year was a fluke, so you're not paying him off that. So and just the fact that he's a really good player and you want to keep him for cheaper than instead of having to pay him earlier than uh than you'd want to. Part of the luxury of taking players in the first round is getting that fifth year option. And even though the Giants didn't take Jabril Peppers, they are still kind of granted that luxury, which is nice, which is a nice part of little little tidbit of that Odell Beckham Jr. trade deal that we get an extra year of pretty cheap football from Jabril Peppers. But also, again, I'm just going to say basically the same thing for Evan Ingram. If you were a person that for some reason that just did not want to pick up his fifth-year option, there's no harm in picking it up and having a good football player for one year. It's a, it's a, it's a one-year extension that's very team-friendly. And if it doesn't work, you just don't re-sign him and you don't give him the multi-year contract uh, after next year. So I like it. Good. Good football players, high upside. Hope they both stay healthy, but especially Evan Engram because he really needs to prove it. And I would like him to kind of get paid. You know, we're, we're rooting for the guys in blue. That's been the theme here for the past uh, for the past week on, on this podcast. Root for the guys in blue. Yeah, Peppers was was a playmaker for the defense. And then Ingram, before he got hurt now, 
listen, I know he does get hurt, so you can't really play the, you know, when he's not hurt kind of card. But when he before he got hurt, he was on like an awesome pace. He was on pace at like 14, 1500 yards. And then obviously the injuries came. Because, I mean, you remember week one versus Dallas, he had over 100 yards. I think against Buffalo, he had over 100 yards. And then against Tampa, he had over 100 yards. Like, he was he was balling. And then it kind of it fell apart um, when he got hurt against – did he get hurt against – no, he got hurt against Minnesota, right? Yeah. Because he missed the New England game. And then the Arizona game, he was – he you could tell he was still a little banged up. Yeah. Also, other news, transactional news, the Giants placed the – the unrestricted free agent tag on Marcus Golden, which we haven't seen happen since Legarrette Blunt with the Patriots, who did leave. I think that's when he went to the Steelers. But no, to basically, the Lions. what's or yeah, to the Lions? I get. I forgot he left the Patriots twice. I what that does is if he's not signed by, I think the date is July twenty second. Justin, then the only yep. team he could play for is the Giants, and it's at a hundred. Was it a hundred ten percent or hundred twenty five percent rate? Um, of what he played for in 2019, basically, basically like 5.25 million dollars is what it would be. Yeah, very, which, very team friendly, <laughs> very team friendly. Yeah. And the reason the Giants do that is because after the draft, if someone just signed him regularly, it wouldn't count against their comp pick, comp, uh, comp pick formula. But now that that tag is on them, the you know a team that's trying to make comp picks, that would affect it, and then maybe you know screw them over. So it just makes them think twice and see if they really want him. So it's a it's a smart thing to do. Surprised the Giants did it. I didn't even know what it was until the other day, Justin. Smart savvy. Smart and savvy. I love it. Now, I have optimism in the back of my brain that you know what, it could happen. But also think of July twenty second's a long time from now. He's a good football player. Somebody is probably gonna swoop him up. But let's just say if he doesn't get swooped up and the Giants wind up getting him like, you know, for a very team. Very, very team-friendly deal. Bobby, I feel bad. Like, I would genuinely feel bad for a guy who came off of a torn ACL, had a great stud year when he needed to have a good stud year, and before he tore his ACL, he was well on pace to being... He he really... I'm not even just saying this because I like Marcus Golden and, and I've met him and I have a personal bias. I do have a personal bias towards Marcus Golden. He really was on pace to be one of the highest paid edge rushers in the league. Now, I'm not saying he was going to get paid Chandler Jones or J.J. Watt money, but he was going to get paid a decent chunk and a decent penny before the torn ACL that kind of derailed his career, and now he could be looking at being on the plus side of like 30 years old, and he's still getting $4 million, $5 million a year. That would suck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, you know, he's 29 years old, but at the end of the day, your market is your market. Um yeah. I, I like Marcus Golden, too. And what I think has been funny is people saying, oh, Marcus Golden, it was just, you know, he only got 10 sacks because coverage sacks. It's like, well, that's awesome because we had the worst coverage, like some of the worst coverage in the NFL. <laughs> so if he could get 10 coverage sacks with that, like, it'd be awesome to see what we could do with, like, mediocre coverage. Um, so I'm a, I want Marcus Golden back on the team. You know, when we put our free agency plans together, I said one year, uh, one year, eight or not one year, but like an eight point five million average annual value would be something I'd be cool with bringing Marcus Golden back on. He would automatically be the best pass rusher. I mean, you yes. Now maybe maybe Zimenez makes that jump, but you can't uh, bet on that. He's better than Lorenzo Carter. He's better than Kyler Fackrell, even though Kyler Fackrell's had you know had a successful year with Graham in uh, twenty eighteen. So I do want Marcus Golden back. But I would be a little worried on on a longer term deal. But at the end of the day, your your market is your market, and I I think Marcus is uh he's seeing that because he's a, like you said, if he didn't have the ACL, it'd be a different story. But he did have the ACL. Yeah, sucks sucks for the guy because I think he really does deserve to get paid. But I mean, a lot of fans are going to see it differently because they're a fan of the Giants, and if they see a team and if they see a deal that's team friendly sitting on the table, I'm sure that's making most fans salivate that they can get a guy. That got you know that got you know ten sacks plus last year and get him for such a cheap deal. So hope he is back regardless. I'm salivating. Come <laughs> back, Marcus Golden. Come back. All right, Justin. I'm kind of dreading doing this, but we have mm-hmm. to do it. And I think it. I think it's going to be something that every year 
the week after the draft, it just turns into a Bobby rant. Cause I went back and listened to last year's episode and I went on like a seven minute rant about the way the media talked about Daniel Jones. Took a lot, I took some shots at Orvlowski, but less at Orvlowski, a lot at Jeff Schwartz, um, some at Warren Sharp. Another guy who was a nobody, but I called him Fantasy Boy because he was a fancy, he did like a fancy football show on Sirius XM. It was a good time. If you want it, I can try and I, I can link people to it. Anyways. So Andrew Thomas is drafted, right? <laughs> to Andrew Thomas is drafted to be our left tackle. And Anthony, our friend, was kind of messing with us. Like, maybe Soldier starts left tackle. And he doesn't believe that. But he was messing with us. And Joe Judge, he went on um, Maggie. I always forget this. Is, is it Maggie and the Moose? I have no I clue. I told, you that, I told you the other day it was Maggie and Bart. And, and I forgot that Bart went to ESPN. I think it's Maggie and the Moose or Maggie and the Moose. And I'm not trying to do that to be disrespectful I, I just can't remember the other guy's name but i listened to that um and joe judge they you know he did a lot of uh, non-answers but one thing he did say was the five best guys will play on the offensive line and i came out and said andrew thomas will be the left tackle if he's the, if if that's true if that's not just coach talk because justin he's a better left tackle than nate solder right now i can't believe we are doing this revisionist history to saying that nate solder was average last year he had the worst production in the NFL. Yes, the Daniel Jones hold on to the ball a little longer sometimes. Yes, but that doesn't fa- change the fact that we went through each game three times, Justin. I did breakdowns every week. And when it was Daniel Jones' fault, I was quick to call it out. When Nate Solder maybe got a blame on something and it wasn't, I was quick to call it out. But Nate Solder had the worst production in the, in the league last year at left tackle. He gave up the most pressures and the second most sacks. That is not simply because he throws the ball, he holds onto the ball for 0.3 seconds longer than Eli Manning. That is not. And we saw even with Eli Manning that Nate Solder was a bad left tackle. He got a little better towards the end of 2018. But overall, 2018 was not good for Nate Solder, Justin. And we just drafted his replacement. What did we dr- We drafted? Here's why Andrew Thomas was drafted fourth overall, to protect the blind side of Daniel Jones. Why is Nate Solder on the 2020 Giants roster, Justin? Because his contract is uncuttable. His contract is uncuttable. But he was bad. So I'm all for giving him a shot at right tackle. Give him that chance, and if he wins it out, let him win it out. He should not be playing left tackle. Now, I get Andrew Thomas has to win the job out and be fair, but Andrew Thomas will win that job out. I am I am 100% confident in that because I have watched Andrew Thomas. And listen, I'm not the best at projecting what college does turning into the NFL, but I know watching Nate Solder last year and Andrew Thomas in college against SEC talent, against Kalevon Chasen, who Kalevon Chasen would eat the lunch of Nate Solder. Kalevon Chasen would have his best game of his rookie season going up against Nate Solder, against Josh Allen, against Julian Acora. Andrew Thomas is better than Nate Solder. And the fact that Justin were a rebuilding team. So why would we have Andrew Thomas play right tackle for a year? For no reason. Do you not want to know why rookies like Nate Solder when he was drafted played right tackle their first year? Because those teams were winning teams and they weren't the best option at left tackle. Andrew Thomas is the best option at left tackle. And let's play through some scenarios, Justin. What if we do play Nate Solder at left tackle? Give him the guy a chance. Give him the chance. And guess what? He still sucks because he's 32 years old and he's coming off two horrible years. Well, guess what? Now, we, now we, we're having to bench him because we didn't do the Nick Gates for center thing and we're going to give Nick Gates a chance. So now we're subbing in Nick Gates at left tackle while Andrew Thomas on the right side? Yeah, right. Andrew Thomas is the left tackle of this team. Who The right tackle on this team, it's up in the air. And you know what? People are like, oh, the next left tackle is always the savior. Yes, Andrew Thomas is the savior. And if he's not, he's a failed draft pick, and Dave Gellman should be fired once that is realized. But he is. Why waste a year? When has Nate Solder looked good? With three-step drop, quick trigger Tom Brady, and even then he didn't look great for them. And with Eli Manning quick trigger, and he didn't even look that good with Eli Manning. I mean, look at the preseason. The preseason, we were jumping for joy about how good this offensive line was. Except Nate Solder because he was getting blown up. He was the only one. And even at the start of the year, he was the only one who was struggling. Like, the offensive line looked good as a whole. And I agree. The off, like From left guard to right tackle, the offensive line was a little overblown. Jalapio had his issues. Hernandez had his issues. Remmers wasn't perfect. But they weren't as bad as people make him out to be. 
but they were as weak as their weakest link. And their weakest link was Daniel Jones blindside. And guess what? Daniel Jones is still the QB and he's still going to be looking down the field. And while I do expect him to work on his fumble issues, I also don't expect him to just go away like poof in the magic. So he's still that QB. We have to protect that QB. Why not left? The guy that we drafted to do that, play that position. Why waste a year? Why waste a year playing Nate Solder at right tackle? Andrew Thomas literally cannot be worse than Nate Solder. And here's the thing. Nate Solder is going through a lot. And we've talked about that. And that sucks. And you know what? But guess what? And this is this is horrible. And this is sad. And I won't say this on Twitter because you can't get like inflection of voice and people will come at you. That situation hasn't gone away. Okay? Now, I pray to God it does, and I don't say that as a term. I legitimately do pray that that goes away. I do, man. I feel horrible for that family. And you know what? Him and his wife are probably going through more pain than his son is. That is the worst feeling in the world, is a parent seeing their child suffer. There is no worse pain in the world, but that's still there, and it sucks, and it's big. that's so much bigger than football. But he is still on the football team, and he cannot be the option at left tackle with the way he played last year. Ho- expecting him to bounce back, that that's just unrealistic. Even if you bounce back to average, that's still not better than what Andrew Thomas is going to be. It's still not better. So give him a chance. I, do, I agree. Give him a chance. Let him bounce back. But let him bounce back at right tackle. And if he bounces back, I'll be awesome. But I want it to be on Daniel Jones' eye side, not his blind side. We cannot do that. It's just... We talked about it in January before we even drafted a left tackle. That is malpractice to let what we saw happen last year. And do not tell me that it wasn't that bad last year. It was that bad. The production matched the eyes. He was a horrible left tackle. And it wasn't just he like just, oh, some numbers inflated. He got beat and he got beat horribly. Now, am I gonna go make a low light clip of a guy like that? No. And one of those reasons is because of the the, the situation with a child. And honestly, I held back a lot because of that, because I didn't want to blast the guy. Because it's like, you know what? They see that stuff. His wife follows us and sees that stuff. And it, it pains me to say things negatively about him because of what they're going through. But it's it's sad. But you cannot do that, especially when you drafted Daniel Jones' left tackle. Why? Well, it, just, it doesn't make any sense to do that. Why play a rookie at right tackle for no reason? We're, if we win, if we win this year, it's going to be because they have both of those guys are good. Andrew Thomas can't have an ease-in year and not be good and the team win. So if we're going to win, it's going to be him at left tackle anyways. So I'm just – I'm over it, and I'm over the excuse that it is an excuse for his bad play, but that doesn't mean we need to accept his bad play at left tackle. I get that that is an excuse. It's rough. It it affects you mentally. But it's 32 years old, and that horrible – issue that I would never wish on anybody is still there. And to just expect him to bounce back is silly. Now, like I said, we they let him go out there and win the job, basically. But I, what I'm telling you is Andrew Thomas will win that job. And if Joe Judge is one of these guys who does seniority and just says, oh, uh, Andrew Thomas is a rookie at right tackle, we let him play there when he's clearly the better option than Nate Solder, then I've lost my faith in Joe Judge. But I do believe Joe Judge will do that. So I like people like to say, trust the coaching staff, trust the coaching staff. I am. And I trust that they're going to do that. So, And you see it in the way they've talked about him. And people are like, oh, he was average. If he was average, the GM of the team wouldn't be saying he had a bad year. They would be saying he wasn't as bad as other people made it out to. They don't like to. They don't talk negatively about their players. Whatever your GM and your coach is saying about a player, bump it down a level or two, because they're never going to say anything as bad is as bad as it actually was. So for him to come out and say that he struggled, he's not just saying that to say that. He knows, it, and Nate Solder knows it too. Nate Solder's a big boy, and I really do, I, I feel bad for the guy, but he cannot be the left tackle. That's malpractice. Rant over. Yeah, my little line was you're waving the white flag on the 2020 season if Nate Solder's your left tackle. And Bobby, that's we have talked about this like at nauseating lengths before about Nate Solder just cannot be your left tackle heading into 2020. One thing I do want to bring up that is a new argument that we haven't talked about before. This is the last is, time we will do it too, by the way. It, well, we, we hope. <laughs> as, lo- as long we as hope. he's... Like for like the the dead the dead time. We'll talk about this in camp again. For people who are like you're beating a dead horse when we really haven't talked about it too much. I just want to let people know we're not gonna do this every episode. We're not the podcast who talk about the same thing every week. And we've proven that. Basically the new point that I want to bring up is you have some people who are talking about 
putting Andrew Thomas at right tackle just to simply get him adjusted and acclimated to like maybe the speed of the game and pass sets, whatever, and just, you know, get him acclimated at right tackle before you put him at left tackle in 2021. But lo and behold, you'll also hear some of those same people and largely people maybe who believe in analytics say that, oh, quarterbacks, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, especially if, if, if Andrew Thomas is a quarterback, right, and he's the fourth pick of the 2020 draft, you're, you're saying start him from day one and throw him into the fire. So I, I don't get why there's such a discrepancy there between putting Andrew Thomas at left tackle, possibly letting him struggle, and... Bobby, here's the reality of it. If you're worried about putting Andrew Thomas at left tackle and he struggles and he loses confidence after year one, then first of all, you don't have good coaching who's supporting that player. And number two, if I have a guy who's just going to totally lose confidence in his entire uh, game from struggling from year one to adjusting at the pro level, then that's not exactly a guy that I want being a a staple of my franchise anyway. If you can't exactly. deal with with rookie year struggles, which how many rookies struggle, whether you look at cornerback, that's such a difficult position to play. Guys, they, they rise above that. Quarterback, such a tough position to play after year one. Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions and you didn't see him put his head in his hands and then not become the greatest quarterback of all time. I heard Kobe say this way back, Justin, and I hate to do like the Kobe said. But this was smart, you know, talking about like, oh, certain guys and certain fits. And I get it could be a little different in football, especially with the quarterback position. But it's like, you know what? The guys who are going to make it are going to make it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and we were talking about, I think he was talking about Lonzo Ball, Ball with like Lonzo Ball's father. And it's like, you know what? If Lonzo Ball's a baller and he's an awesome point guard, he's going to be awesome point, an awesome point guard regardless of what his father does. And I believe that, especially with the left tackle position where it's not, like you don't need you don't need a system to be a left tackle. You just need to be a beast of a left tackle. Now, is there systems that make it easier, like New England's? Yes. And by the way, New England had the best offensive line coach um, in in the NFL. I forget what his name is. He just retired, but he was the best offensive line coach in the NFL. So Solder also had that with with a system that is very quick trigger. So and and even in that, he wasn't that good. Now I'm not I'm not doing the revisionist history like oh how dare they sign Nate Solder because I get it at the time. But he cannot play left tackle. It's silly. And I will say, and we won't mention names because that's what people want. And I don't want to stoop to other people's level. But the accusation that um, we we basically want people to play because of who our favorite player is and our least favorite player is. And someone said, oh, well, you love Andrew Thomas. Why do you think I like Andrew Thomas? Do you think I'm a Georgia fan? <laughs> do, you think I, do you think I hate white left tackles and I love black left tackles and that's why I want Nate Soldier out there? Do you think... Nate Solder is just my least favorite player because I just don't like him. In fact, I like him as a person probably more than anybody on the Giants. Okay? I like good players. And the reason I like Andrew Thomas as number one is because he was the best left tackle. And I got called crazy for it a little bit. Not as crazy for the Daniel Jones stuff, but I got called crazy for it. And you know what? Dave Gettleman, who this person praises a lot, agreed with me on that. And you know what? If If you could say anything about Gettleman, you could say he's a pretty good scout. So the idea, like, yes, do we get go over the top sometimes and have a little fun and make a, a video of Daniel Jones saying, uh, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love you? Yes. But to say that we don't put any blame on him, and I sh- I reshared the blog from the Cardinals game because someone brought up the Cardinals game like, oh, eight sacks, but a lot of those were on Daniel Jones, and you don't bring that up. It's like I literally wrote a blog and did a minute video on each individual sack, and every time it was Daniel Jones' fault, which was more times than not, I blamed it on Daniel Jones to the point where people were telling me to take it easy on Daniel Jones. So please miss me with that. And I don't want to. I don't want to stoop to other people's level. And I'm big on not bringing other people into the show that aren't worthy of being brought into the show. But nonetheless, I felt like there was a big thing about this whole topic the last couple of days. And just listen, are we biased? Yes. Are we fans? Yes. But to act like we just like like I'm just a Daniel Jones and Andrew Thomas fanboy. <laughs> Sue me, Bobby. Sue me. I'm a fan of the New York football giants. Uh, arrest me. Arrest me. Sue me. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And you know what? Half the beat reporters are fans of half the half the beat reporters are fans of the New York Giants, by the way, too. So they and the thing the thing about us is we'll at least admit it. They pretend they're not. Bro. Oh, we're not fans yeah. of the team. No, no, no. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And I won't say names. I'm not even I'm not saying they shouldn't be fans, but at least we admit it. And 
the thing is, is people call me a Daniel Jones homer, and I am. Like, I love Daniel Jones. I believe in him. And do sometimes I look away from his, like, do I not, like, make a big deal of his flaws? Yeah. But I'm also just a all-around positive person. You know, you probably wouldn't understand that from the past 15 minutes of ranting. <laughs> but I'm an overall positive person. But we spent an hour talking about Daniel Jones in our season review episodes. And we talked about the things he needs to work on. And one of those is pocket manipulation. And I think I think that's bigger than the fumbles. I really do. Because the fumbles, like, people clean up fumbles. Pocket manipulation and feel for the pocket is what separates the good from the great. That's what separates but they work hand in hand. and Brady from the good from the great. Yes, and it helps you uh, step down the fumbles. Yes, Daniel Jones definitely needs to manipulate the pocket better. But I'm not going to go around screaming every day about how Daniel Jones in the pocket. Like I think people like that are losers, and we have a few of those people who listen and follow us, and they're losers. Anyways, just I, I'm done with this rant. I don't want to talk about it until camp starts, and, and we won't even have this conversation when camp starts because Andrew Thomas will be the left tackle. Yeah, to just really put a bow on it, 52 pressures, most allowed in the National Football League, second most sacks allowed. Yes, is this partially due to bad technique, getting flat out beat, and also Daniel Jones holding onto the ball? Yes, Daniel Jones was 12th in the National Football League in highest time, average time to throw. He was 12th highest. Now, we've talked about this time and time again, how we want this perfect combination between, you know, maybe reining in it a little bit more, getting the ball out a little bit quicker if you're Daniel Jones, but also not being checked down city Eli Manning. Yes, we complained for the last three years about that. We complained the last three years about about Eli not taking chances and checking down the ball, and now we wanted to rein it in. And, let, and, and Daniel Jones does need to rein in at times. It's about picking and choosing your battles. Correct. But to say that Daniel Jones uh, – caused Nate Solder's bad play no no it did not cause his bad play it just exposed how bad Nate Solder was that's really what it did Tom Brady's awesome play just just showed that Nate Solder wasn't that bad and even with Eli Manning quick trigger it was bad for most of 2018 did it get better yeah but it was never good I mean Nate Solder was never good in 2018 he just wasn't horrible like he was to start and he wasn't as horrible 2019 but to expect a guy at 32 years old to have a bounce back I'm sorry. I'm not putting that faith in that kind of guy. And I'm a positive person. I'm a believer in giving guys second chances. But at 32 years old, when you had the worst production in the league, sorry, man. And we just drafted your replacement. Sorry. I'm, I'm not I'm not doing that. So we're rooting for the guys in blue. I genuinely do think that the best version of the New York football giants is a average to good Nate Solder veteran presence at right tackle. Bobby, I genuinely right and 100% at right tackle. Yeah, I genuinely believe that Nate Solder, if he proves that he can start, even though we love Nick Gates, if he can prove that he can start, the best version of this 2020 Giants team is him playing right next to Kevin Zeitler. I truly do believe that. So if you're leaving this conversation from thinking, oh, Bobby and Justin aren't sympathetic of of uh, Nate Solder and they're you know Nate Solder haters and you know they're they're solely just married to Andrew Thomas because they because they had him tacked as the top guy. If that's what you're leaving this conversation with, I'm going to encourage you not to because I genuinely think Bobby and I both agree in saying this that. Nate Solder does have value. He has value at right tackle at this point in his career. He has value being a veteran presence. He has value. Clearly, the team values him by putting a C on his shirt, and we hope that overall continues. All right, let's take a break. Let's be more positive. Let's talk about some sixth and, round, sixth and seventh round picks, what you tune into the show for, for the most part. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, let's look at round six and seven of the 2020 NFL Draft. Five players. Justin, it starts with the fourth pick in the sixth round. Penn State linebacker. He's six foot five, 233 pounds. Cameron Brown. Justin, at the combine, he ran a 4.7240, 16 bench press reps, a 35.5 inch vertical jump. In 2019, he had 72 tackles, five and a half for a loss, and two sacks. In 2018, he had 63 tackles. Six and a half for a loss in two sacks. Justin, Cam Brown is very big, and he plays a linebacker position. You don't see linebackers that are six foot five, 
And you also don't see him split out into like cornerback nickel duties. And that's what he did. In fact, the role he played at Penn State was the role I envisioned for Isaiah Simmons if the Giants were to draft him. So, Cam Brown, he's raw. He has this big size. He's got he's got pretty good athleticism, even though the 40 time doesn't wow you. But he played a ton of nickel and was pretty good at it in zone coverage. He has no like real pass rush moves. It's all based, like his pressure and his sacks are all based off of blitzes and timing, which he's good at. He's good at not just running right into an offensive lineman when I can't stand linebackers to do it. Just timing it and seeing where an offensive lineman's eyes will go and then finding a hole and go through. I think more linebackers will be so much more successful doing that. Because when he just runs straight into the line, he gets blown up. And part of that is his big frame. I'd rather, I'd rather block a tall, skinny guy than someone like Carter Coughlin, honestly. He's pretty good at jumping in the passing lanes and his length gets in the passing lanes. Like you see him like, especially on the RPOs, he, and they have like a, let me try and explain it. It's called a smoke route. It's basically a bubble where if a linebacker plays in that route's there. So if he plays in that, the QB is taught to throw that bubble. He jumps in the way of that passing lane, which is pretty cool. So he's got like a pretty good athleticism doing that. And because of his size, he gets in the passing lanes. There's a throw against Iowa and because of his height, you could see, you could tell the QB is trying to float it over to him. And because of that, the corner it, it becomes it turns into a duck, and the corner makes a play on it and gets an interception. Justin, he flies around. He'll you'll he'll be like, oh my gosh, he's about to make this huge play. The issue is he doesn't wrap up. He's a very he's a kind of a bad tackler. Like you'll yeah. see, like oh my gosh, he's about to light this QB up or light this running back up, and they just break the tackle. He just he arm tackles like crazy, but he is very versatile. You can play him on the edge, not as an edge, like a pure edge rusher, but you can play him on the edge. You can play him inside. You can play him lining up at nickel. Justin Cam Brown is the definition of a versatile guy with talent, but it hasn't been harnessed in and he needs some time. And that's why he was taken in the sixth round. You mentioned the whole tackling ability question mark and 15 missed tackles in 2019, 14 missed tackles in 2018. And actually something that was quite ironic because he didn't wrap up. I felt like he led with his head somewhat often, and there would be times where I would even see him put his head down, and that's like a big no-no if we're talking about the game of football and you're trying to make a play on a ball carrier because putting your head down and leading with the crown of your helmet, that like can lead to concussion issues. But he would get like really low, and then his helmet would hit the ball, and he would bite the ball. You want your head kind of being <laughs> up biting the ball. And he would actually, like, force fumbles. He actually has yeah. a pretty somewhat of a good pedigree forcing fumbles. But the way that he would do it, it's not like the traditional way of, like, oh, he's not coming in and he's stripping. No. The top of his helmet is hitting the football, so it's just flying out of the running back's, uh, running back's hand. So that's that's kind of funny. Um, you mentioned his great size. I, in my, in my let's, let's get perfect world uh, scenario here. And let's envision this six-round pick becoming a quality pro football player for us. In a perfect world, he's covering tight ends and he's blanketing tight ends because of his size. Like six five? Are you kidding me? Six five with you know, and, and if you have some kind of athleticism to keep up with some of these tight ends in the National Football League, this is like uh, a match. You know, we're talking about a beautiful matchup dream for us right now. Uh, having a six five linebacker that could possibly cover uh, cover tight ends, but he has to he has to develop a little bit into that. So those are the two big things that I noticed. For him, it's like you can't just play him out like at inside linebacker or like actually splitting out wide and nickel, and you just don't do that in the NFL unless you have someone like Isaiah Simmons. So I think where his role eventually will be will be on the edge, but not as a pure edge rusher. But he does need to get better at block shedding, so he has that threat and in the run game. But he is very good at containing the run game and not like overplaying stuff. So I think that's where his his role ends up. But like an edge rusher who drops in the coverage more. Um, Justin, and we'll talk about these other players. I, I Cam Brown, I do see make, making this team, but I don't see him being a guy they plan on really using. Like I could see, and I don't want to give it away, but I could see Tay Crowder having more of like an immediate plan of use than Cam Brown. Yeah, I, I hate saying upside, but you're you're kind of picking this guy for for more upside and you kind of gave away a, a take that we are going to have with with Crowder where I really feel like you're you're picking this guy for upside uh, and you're picking up for his size like I really do feel like well this this guy this size is too good to pass up on uh, and if he forms into a good pro- quality pro player 
the, the matchups that we can have, especially going up against tight ends and going up against some some skill position guys, that could really be a benefit for us. The th- and the thing is, is he's good in coverage. It's just he needs to be better at block shedding to have that coverage being able to use because you got to have a little bit of both to play the position he will play because he played in a 4-3 scheme. Um, and we know that, you know, we just know that for Penn State, which, by the way, Michael Johnson, look out for him. He might be a guy on the team next year. Um, or the Miami defensive end, or Jamar Chase. Ch- tank for Chase again, baby. I love Jamar <laughs> Chase. I- I'm one draft away from saying agreeing with PFF and saying defense doesn't matter because I-, I might want Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase would have been the best wide receiver in this draft. Anyways, let's not let's not preview 2021 so much yet. But he is pretty good in coverage. It's just that role you don't really have at the NFL level, especially like he's good at it, but he's not like amazing. And I mean, and that's why he was taking the sixth round. But I, I like the pick. It's a uh, it's it's you take shots. You take shots at talent in the later rounds, and I, I like that about this pick. All right, the next pick starting the run of four seventh round picks. The fourth pick of the seventh round. Carter Coughlin, grandson of Tom Coughlin. Not that Tom Coughlin. Another one who did play football though at Minnesota. Six foot three, two hundred thirty-six pounds out of Minnesota. Like I said, ran a four five seven forty, a thirty-six inch vertical jump. Justin, he he had a, a groin injury in week one, which I now, I have a lot of Minnesota connections, you know, from my time playing up there. And I have one teammate who he's like on the Minnesota Gophers beat. Said he had a groin injury week one, which limited him in 2019. But I still liked what I saw out of him in 2019. He had 49 tackles, nine and a half for a loss and four and a half sacks. In 2018, he had 48 tackles, 15 tackles for a loss and nine and a half sacks. 40 career sacks in his career in Minnesota. Justin. I think Carter Coughlin makes the roster as a fourth edge guy with chances to move up. I really like him a lot. He's got an unreal moment. Now he a motor, not moment. He's kind of a tweener at 6'3, 236. He's small. He's this looks a little skinny for the position. But I don't like I don't believe in stopping a guy from playing if he can produce it there. So you know, give him some shots here and there. He's got an unreal motor. He's like a smaller and faster AJ Epinesa, where which is like, okay, that's not AJ Epinesa, Bobby. But nonetheless, he's like he's got multiple pass rush moves. He's good with his hands. He knows how to bull rush guys. He can spin inside sometimes. Like he has a he has pass rush moves. If you gave Cam Brown his pass rush moves, Cam Brown would be like a second round pick. And like he's just small and fast, one of those guys that bends around the edge. Uh, you look at Auburn, he was bending the edge. I mean, he got he sacked Dwayne Haskins twice in 2018. The guy and he put up production and there was some effort sacks, but nonetheless, effort sacks are still sacks. I'm so sick of people shaming effort sacks. If everyone put in the effort that some of these guys in, they'd have more effort sacks, but they don't. So I'm no longer I like I cannot stand effort sacks shaming. He's got great recognition and reaction, pretty good agility. Justin Carter Coughlin, if anything, is an exciting football player to watch. Yeah, quick little uh, tidbit about coverage sacks. That's kind of like what we're relying on the New York football giants to do a lot this year. <laughs> Investing some high draft picks, fading the pass rush a little bit, at least until later in this draft, uh, and possibly not even getting Marcus Golden, Marcus Golden back in free agency. You're investing in the secondary so you can possibly get some coverage sacks. So get used to it. That's where the NFL is going. But, but Carter Coughlin, a lot of production. A lot of production that he put up at Minnesota. And why do I have a feeling that I'm more satisfied with picking Carter Coughlin in the seventh round than picking Curtis Weaver in the fourth round. Like I'm much more satisfied and you're trying to, you're trying to get good value. And even you're trying to get good value. I don't even care if it's in the seventh round. Carter Coughlin is kind of that it's kind of, kind of good value. And we said throughout this entire draft process, I think I I've learned throughout my eval process, and this was my first draft where I really started to really look at a lot of players, and I was expecting more of the top guys to have versatile pass rush moves. Very surprised to find that a guy that's taken in the seventh round, who was possibly projected to maybe even go as early as the fifth, he has some pass rushing moves. And I think the main thing that's holding him back is you know being being so small and having the lack of size. Uh, hopefully he can, he can add some muscle mass, because I really do think I think he's an edge rusher. He has the moves. It's not like we're talking about a guy that just he relied is. on solely speed or just relied on solely strength. He's an edge rusher. And I know a lot of people are now saying, oh, he's an off-ball linebacker because of his size. I kind of want to see him develop as an edge rusher. We're not expecting him to play day one. So let's let's put some muscle on, big boy. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's develop. Yeah, Originally, I said he's a poor man, Zach Bond, which I don't think is the worst take. But I just, like you said, I don't see him really playing 
off ball because that's not where he fits. He's an edge rusher. The question with him is, will his bull rush be at least semi-effective versus NFL offensive tackles? Because having that ability really changes the way an offensive tackle plays if they know you can bull rush them. And it's just, does he have the size and strength to do that against NFL offensive tackles? And that's that's the big question when it comes to Carter Coffin because if he doesn't, it really it makes everything else that he does well a lot harder to do. But like we said, when I mean, we saw him go against Auburn, both offensive tackles, and he would switch sides. So he's went up against offensive offensive tackles or offensive offensive tackles, NFL offensive tackles. So dumb, Bobby. So Carter Coffin, the seventh round, I love it, and I know people are gonna be like, "You guys love every pick." The next two will not be as lovey dovey. Yeah, Carter Coughlin even had a, a pretty solid good game against Iowa there for a little bit. There was back-to-back plays where he forced some pressures, and he should have had a sack on, on at least one of them. One of them where he was actually going up, up against Wirfs, and he actually used the defensive tackle's body to almost like, I don't know if it was a planned stunt, Bobby. I'm not smart enough to like, I'm not smart enough to make that determination, but he basically used the defensive tackle's body who was eating up two spots in the offensive line, and it kind of led into a, a led right into the A-gap to go and get a hit on the quarterback. And then a second play, he switched over to that left side, left side of the offensive line, right side of the defense, and he led off with the bull rush, bull rush kind of move, which I think they're not even calling it bull rush anymore. Uh, they're calling it something else, and I'll get more of a clarification on that Your because technically bull speed. rushes are illegal. Power speed, speed rush or power. something like that. Yeah, speed. Yeah, speed the power. It's a that's bull rush. Bull rush. Down. It does not mean you're head down. It just means you're <laughs> running right through a guy with power. I know we, we change in terms, but I'll pull a Carl Banks. I'm like, what is that? What do you mean? What is this? It's a bull rush. <laughs> What's an off ball linebacker? Yeah, but then basically the the play that I'm kind of talking about, I'm referring to uh, during that Iowa game, is he started off with the bull rush, uh, power power to speed rush, and then he finished off with the spin move to get the tackle off of him and got a pressure on the quarterback. Didn't get the didn't finish the sack, but upside is the word of the day when you're talking about sixth and seventh round picks so even though it's a little bit of a cop out to to say that this guy has upside because you can never be wrong about upside (laughs) it's true i don't think you have much upside justin i'll be i'll I'll go i'll go out on oh oh low blow next pick the 24th pick of the seventh round out of south carolina six foot one 230 pounds another linebacker tj brunson he didn't compete at the Combine because he wasn't invited. In 2019, in 11 games, he had 77 tackles, 6 for a loss, and 1 interception. In 2018, he had, in 13 games, 106 tackles, 10.5 for a loss, and 4 sacks. So pretty good production. The good things. He's very willing to come up and be physical with offensive linemen. Like, he is not afraid of an offensive lineman to come up and pop him right in there and he's got he's pretty he's very patient and he knows how to like let a play develop before attacking so a lot of times you'll see you'll see him running through like a wide open hole and be like oh that wasn't anything special it's like well no it's it's good because he was patient and if he wasn't patient that would have been a huge cutback for the team which is why i see him playing more on the backside if he does ever get the play he's okay in zone he doesn't have great speed but he's okay in zone coverage but a part of that is because he plays it um conservatively he doesn't really take a lot of chances Justin, the negative he's slow he's not very fast he's not attacking as much as i like the patience i would rather err on the side of aggressiveness i wish he would come up and and i wish he would take more chances in the run game and in the pass game for for that he doesn't really have that sideline the sideline speed so he's he would have fit in like if we're playing the the patriots last year if he was in that game he would have had a great game because they're running up the middle if he's playing against the vikings he would have looked horrible now, because he's physical and likes to go up and pop offensive linemen, sometimes he's just like busy like fighting with an offensive lineman when he should be trying to get off the block instead of trying to light up an offensive lineman. Justin TJ Brunson, um, we linebacker is a position that you that does play eventually if you are on the roster day one. The thing is, and we'll get to it when we talk about Tay Crowder. Ah, uh, I don't think he makes the roster. I don't, don't want to poo-poo him or nothing, but this one. This one doesn't be like, oh, he's got upside or or if, if he does this. like We like to highlight you know, what a guy can do, and there's things he can do, like we mentioned. But with T.J. Brunson in the seventh round, I don't really like see it really translating ever great to the NFL. Yeah, when we previewed the linebackers on our linebacker preview episode a couple of weeks ago, a lot of the guys we talked about, they were explosive. They popped. They were flowing from sideline to sideline. Even guys, you know, obviously we – 
covered a lot of the top guys, but even some of the lower end guys, they still had some explosiveness to them and they still they still had a pop to their game. Brunson just doesn't have that pop to his game, and that may not be the most like advanced ob- observation ever, but if we're, if you if we want to talk some numbers, if you want to be happy, go to his 2018 tape. That's where he had the most tackle numbers. Uh, he was one of the SEC's leading tacklers, and then if and then he also only had seven missed tackles in 2018 compared to 2019, where he had 15 missed tackles, and 2017 he had 18 missed tackles. So you, ba- basically, I'm going to cap it off with this: uh, you want a linebacker that can kind of go sideline to sideline in today's NFL. The field is kind of spreading a little bit. Uh, offenses, you know, are they're, they're, they're spreading within itself. It's passing league. You want a guy that kind of goes sideline to sideline. And while Brunson does some things well, he also has a ton of experience. He's a three-year starter, which that's a common theme of this draft, a lot of experience. So there's some good things, but eh, I can honestly <laughs> see the Giants trying to get somebody like at the beginning of camp and he might beat Brunson out for the spot on the roster. He's a solid player and he's very he's very fundamentally sound and I don't want to like downgrade that because you need that because a lot of times like if you're too aggressive you get yourself in trouble. So he's very sound and fundamentally and as much as like we don't see him as like a fast player, he's not bad in coverage. Like I said he plays it conservatively but he makes plays in the coverage like he'll he'll tip a pass. Um he, he finds himself in the right place and that speaks to his football IQ and his playing the fundamentals. But I guess this could be like what you're, you know, we all have different flavors of, of things we like in players. I always err on the side of aggressiveness. That's why I have so much faith in Ryan Connolly. Because, yes, Ryan Connolly will make huge mistakes at times. But, damn it, he will make plays and he will be aggressive. And he's, it's never going to be like a what if. Where Brunson, and there's there's roles guys for Brunson. Um, Blake Martinez is a guy who, now he's much better than Brunson, but he plays like that that sound type of football where he's not going to, He's not going to just go nuts all game and leave his defense screwed on the backside where they're throwing crossers all over the top. So I don't want to like get on him for being like super fundamentally sound. I just don't think he has the speed and athleticism to be like a fundamentally sound guy and be super, um, super successful. But like I said, if you have him filling in as the backside linebacker, I don't think you're going to be mad at him either. He's not really an upside guy. <laughs> Damn it. He's got I think he's got plenty of upside. There you go. <laughs> I he's he's he is an upside guy, unlike you. All right. With the 33rd pick in the seventh round, so starting the comp picks, another Minnesota guy. This is a big golden gopher draft. I mean, you had Tyler Johnson who was in your mock draft. You had Antoine Winfield, who was in my mock draft. We got Chris Williamson, six foot, two hundred five pound Minnesota cornerback. He's a true nickel corner. He played this lot. In 2019, he had 56 tackles, one interception, four tackles for a loss, two and a half sacks. Some weird numbers for a corner. 2018, he had 34 uh, tackles, three and a half for a loss, and one sack. He is a true nickel corner. Like we say, like with Darnay Holmes, it's like, you know what? I think he has nickel skills, and you could put him the nickel. Williamson, he plays nickel, and he did his job. He did his job at Minnesota. The thing is, is the scheme they had was very like basic for a corner. So he was, a, it was a lot of zone coverage, and his responsibilities were like the short end of the field on whatever side it was. So covering, covering the shallow sideline, the flats. Imagine yourself playing Madden, and you're running curl flats. He has the flat route. So there's not a lot of like trust in that. Like you don't need a bunch of like have to put a bunch of trust in that position. So he did that, but he did it well. So I don't want to, I don't want to get on a guy for doing something well. When they did put him in, man, he did a pretty good job. He made some plays on um, Hamler or Penn State. The thing is, I just don't see him having the best ball skills. But you know what? He did have deflections, and I don't want I don't want to get him on him for that. But there was there was one play where it's like, dude, like if you turn your head and keep running through that, you have a, a deflection or an interception or something. And he kind of pulled up. Part of that was the safety coming over the top too. Um, but like I said, when he does play, man, he's pretty decent. Um, he transferred from the Florida Gators. His nine-year-old team beat Darius Slayton's nine-year-old team, Justin. How about that? How about that? We're a podcast of fun facts here. Williamson was one of the very few like two-year starters on this team. The only reason why he was a two-year starter um, was because he transferred. So I believe he only started or played in like 23 games with Minnesota, which again, I'm... I'm acting like like this is an impressive feat that the Giants have accomplished, that the fact that most of their guys that they drafted have played like 30-plus games, but I don't know if it actually is. Um, 
<laughs> like I think I'm acting like they're so unique in that regard, but we're going to give them a compliment anyway. But Williamson, um, I kind of not doing the like, hey, these guys are captains, and I put a lot of weight into that. It's like you know who makes captains in college football <laughs> the best players. You know who the best players are, guys who are in the NFL draft. There you go. There you go. Way to spin it. Way to spin it. Uh, I kind of. I kind of saw a lot of a lot of good things in the run game that Williamson did. Uh, he actually has more tackles for loss and sacks compared to interceptions. He only has uh, one interception in his entire uh, collegiate football career. So I asked Bobby, like pre-show, can I call this guy a bigger version of Grant Haley without sounding stupid? Because Grant Haley's five nine and this guy's six foot, and you said yes and no, because he does have some passes deflected, but you kind of also said yes. So do you want to explain why? Because I because I think he's pretty good in, he's pretty good in the run game. And Grant Haley's yeah. also very good in the run game. Yeah, you have the positives of the run game, but this the ball skills aren't great. But at the same time, he didn't get burnt in man. Uh or down the like he didn't get like he didn't just get exposed like Grant Haley did. Now Grant Grant Haley didn't get exposed at Penn State either. So you know, it's one thing doing it in college, another doing it at the NFL. So I, I don't want to say he's Grant Haley, but I will. I do want to say, and this is as the cornerback position as a whole. So now let's run through it. Now we got DeAndre Baker and James Bradbury. You just just drafted Darnay Holmes. There's three. So at corner, you have now you have Sam Beal, Corey Ballantyne, and and Chris Williamson at corner. Am I am I missing anybody? Did we say Julian Love Grant, Grant, as like Grant Haley? And maybe even Julian Love. If Julian Love plays corner with uh, Xavier McKinney being added, that's eight corners. So that's why I don't see Chris Williamson making the roster right away. Because I do, I, I when I watch Sam Beal, I like what I see out of Sam Beal more. I like what I see out of Corey Ballantyne more. Grant Haley, I would, I'd rather give this guy a shot than Grant Haley because we know what Grant Haley is. So I've wondered, because he did play in that scheme that he did, and it's very like, look at the QB, and you're looking forward and not really like, mirroring a wide receiver and with his size maybe this is a guy who can transition to safety and we need depth at safety we have right now we have yeah. xavier mckinney and jabril peppers julian love maybe playing corner and besides that we don't have any depth at safety yeah we brought up uh no you brought up this notion that hey grant haley may be able to play safety because we kind of like low-key need a backup strong safety i don't think we have a single one unless you want to count mckinney but mckinney's going to be doing different and fun different things uh at various points so yeah uh, especially if we're talking about size like it, there's a there's a three there's a whole three inch difference between williamson and haley and i think that would you would put the the nod to Chris Williamson for the size. And if you can kind of play in the run game and if you can maybe transition him to be like a box guy, I take that. I would take that. So I think it's going to come down to like him and Grant Haley. Like, and I think the, the question has been asked, like what does this Giants draft, who does it mean more for? Does it mean more for Ballantyne Beal, Haley, Love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is the boring take. This this draft means more for Grant Haley because there's just so many more options at slot corner now. Yeah, and because it's one of these things with the NFL. So you get your chances, and then if you, if you show that you're not the guy, they move on for you for, you know, maybe Chris Williamson's a little worse than Grant Haley. But you know what Chris Williamson hasn't done? Played in the NFL for two years and shown that he's not that good. So, right. you always, like at least for me, I'd always rather – give the young guy a shot to see what he can do at the NFL level. So that's where we are standing at Williamson. All right, the last seventh-round pick, Mr. Irrelevant. But this, my, my man ain't irrelevant. Piss some respect on his name. Out of Georgia, the dogs, the dogs, Spearier. All right, I'll be, I won't do that anymore, and it hurt my throat. <clears throat> you could probably tell by the sound of my throat when I said that. Six foot three, 235-pound linebacker from the dogs. Decartavius. Crowder. You could call him Tay, though. That's what he goes by. Tay Crowder out of Georgia. He didn't participate in the combine, but he should have. And I wish he would have because I want to see what his 40 time is because my man plays fast. In 2019, he had 62 tackles, four tackles for a loss. In 2018, 53 tackles, six tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks, and two interceptions. Tay Crowder is fun to watch. When we, like, Jalen Brunson, he does the things right, but Tay he makes you he makes you have some fun and he's you know he's guys switched over from running back you know he came into Georgia as a running back that was my fun fact he's unbelievably aggressive it's not fun anymore cuz i said it and i'm the fun nazi he's extremely aggressive with very good <laughs> instincts 
He doesn't get stuck floating in zone. He's got good agility and man. And like I said, the biggest thing is my man trusts his instincts. Justin, Tay Crowder, he made plays for an awesome Georgia defense. He was a big part of that Georgia defense. I don't understand why he got slept on. I don't understand why he wasn't invited to the combine. Justin, if you're asking me to go through this roster and predict my 53, for the inside linebacker spot, I got Blake Martinez, Ryan Connolly, David Mayo, and Tay Crowder finishing it off that group. I would agree with you. This was my favorite pick out of the five guys that we kind of talked about today. And I simply, I just watched that Notre Dame game. I actually can't wait to kind of watch more and I'll make some more videos for everybody. But there was some plays kind of almost back to back where he diagnosed the screen and he made a play on a ball carry. He came in a little high. And I think that I have a video drafted. So you better not steal it from me. I'm not going to steal it from you. I'll wait for you to publish that video and then I'll go from there. (laughs) Is it from the Notre Dame game? Yes. I all right, all right. well, I'm done. I, I didn't do one game. I didn't do like one play. I clipped the Notre Dame game. All right, well, I got two plays from that, and I and that, that it, it did quite well. So I think a lot of people already know what I'm kind of talking about. But the first play, he kind of diagnosed the screen, really was able to make the play on the ball carrier going through some offensive linemen, which was pretty nice. But you, again, you got to show some athleticism. You got to show some pop. got to show some explosiveness. And then the second play is – what I like to see sometimes out of out of you know out of def- especially guys on the defensive side of the ball is don't play hero ball all the time. There's no need to play hero ball. There's eleven guys. There's ten other guys on the field around you for a reason. And there was a run play and it was running out of the shotgun. So Crowder actually goes to the outside shoulder. He goes towards the outside towards the sideline on the ball carrier. He forces him inside. Trust that his guys will be there to make a play on the ball carrier. And, you know, let's just say if he were to just shoot in inside and try to go for the ball carrier's ankles or something like that, he might have missed. And that ball carrier, therefore, is then going to the outside and he's running down the sideline for a huge, huge gain. He didn't play hero ball. Stood on that outside, he forced that running back to the inside uh, and he helped make the play and he helped make the tackle. So he seems to be a smart football player as well. I liked him in coverage. So uh, Crowder, kind of like my favorite player from from these he's five exciting. guys that we looked at today. If we picked him yeah. in the fourth round, I would be excited about him. From I, I don't know what. Maybe there's some kind of character concerns. I don't know. But he's exciting. You know who he looks like, too? De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. I was wondering who it was earlier today, and it just hit me now. He looks like De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings, um, formerly of Kentucky. So there's that. I like Tate Crowder that's a, a talk. That's a... That's a talking sports point. That's not a that's not a talking Giants point. You lo- you lost me, especially when you're bringing up Sa- Sacramento Kings. The last time I followed them, they had a uh, Demarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay on the team. Yeah, but they got a, I mean they got a fun team. You got Buddy Heald on there, um, Bojan, but they their ownership is maybe the worst in the NBA. Um, it's just they play for Sacramento, but those old Sacramento Kings teams with Mike Bibby, Christie. Peja, people forget how good Peja was. Weber, Brad Miller at center. You had Bobby Jackson as a backup point guard. I mean, those are some fun teams to one. You know, people could argue that they should have went to the NBA Finals where they would have faced the Nets, and the Nets, the Nets would have beat them. Was that the year? No, it wasn't. The Nets should. I'm still mad the Nets lost two in a row, and we had a 19-0 run against us versus Spurs in Game Six of the 2000 NBA Finals. What the heck? All right, that's the show. Oh my gosh, we appreciate you guys. <laughs> If this was your first time listening, we don't do those Nate Solder rants all the time. Like this, rants are rare, but when we do and we make them count, we're usually a little more fun than that. Uh, we're not the the old men yelling at the at the the cloud podcast, and we usually don't we usually don't bring like outside topics into the show. But I felt like it was a discussion that needed to be had since we didn't really have it uh, when Andrew Thomas was drafted. Next week we go back to our regular schedule, Tuesday and Friday episodes. And two episodes that are two of my favorite. Tuesday, we will break down offensive undrafted free agents. Friday will be defensive undrafted free agents. What sucks, though, Justin, is we have no rookie camp to freaking pair with them and nothing to overanalyze. And people can't call the Giants a laughing stock for putting out a highlight video of Daniel Jones throwing swing passes. I swear, I really do miss that. I'm not just playing that up. I'm, I legit miss rookie camp. <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the first time I've ever sneezed on a podcast. And as I was about as I was about to sneeze, I was thinking about, oh shoot, this is the first time I'm ever gonna sneeze on a podcast. And I've I've recorded like some 
I've recorded a lot of episodes other than this show and Bleeding Blue. So um, we'll have some fun ideas. We'll have some fun ideas. Remember, remember, we do have a voicemail number. So if you have that saved, uh, you know, maybe give us a call we'll ha- sometime soon. And, you know, after, we'll, we'll, after, we'll do some fun things. We're going to do the undrafted free agent episodes. And the first one back after that will be a, a voicemail mailbag because we haven't done one of those in like 50, 60 days because of all this. Should we though, so. should we try and do just solely a voicemail episode and just have it as like if there's news we'll talk about no, it in the beginning mailbag but not mailbag, plan on anything else yeah mailbag and voicemail will be an episode oh i love that um, that's that's my favorite so, so you have a lot do. to look forward to yeah all right so we appreciate you guys thank you for rating and reviewing you guys have been doing it i was gonna use the person who left us a one star as a motivation to do it but guess what you guys we've had like six come in since so you no need to leave a review this week don't do it if you leave a review i'm gonna be really pissed We'll see you guys on Tuesday. Let's go Big Blue.